0: Alright, so let's, let's get our bearings here because we're, we're still in the same story where Jesus is teaching ten thousands, is how, what it literally says. Thousands of people are out there. Jesus has been talking to his disciples in front of these ten thousands people um, and more or less ignoring them. Remember last week at some point the guy... Pipes up and says, hey, tell my brother to give me my half of the inheritance. And Jesus is in the middle of talking to his disciples. He kind of looks and is like, who made me your boss? And then goes immediately back to teaching them. But he, that's the, the platform at which we, the, Jesus starts talking about. And we talked about last week this stuff that we spend all of our time acquiring, taking care of, working on, all of the stuff that we can see is temporary. And that the world tells you, go for what you want. Go for the gusto in life. And we said last week, that's a lot. I mean, we know that everything is transient in this life. I mean, we realize on some level That at some point in the future, somebody's going to walk out of this building for the last time. That all of the rebarb that's in these thick, poured, slab-in-place concrete walls is either going to rust to nothingness or be gathered up for scrap. Everything you own, somebody else will either own or it will be... Gotten rid of. Some of you may know that uh, a week ago, Saturday night, uh, Ann and I were in a restaurant, and I was, uh, I hadn't eaten all day, and I was eating a steak. And uh, I took a bite and, and went to swallow it and realized that I could not breathe. The steak was sitting right there. And so, you know, you first have that kind of thing, and then you realize, no, seriously, I can't breathe. And so I jump up to try to do the Heimlich maneuver. I've I've read and seen online, you know, where you can go to a flat back chair and jump on it with your own stomach and do the Heimlich maneuver. And I'm sitting there looking for a chair that would be fitting. And all I can think of in my mind is, I'm going to die in a restaurant called 50 Taters. (laughs) That I'm literally going to die, and it's going to be in the paper. While gluttonously eating a steak, Pastor Tom died in 50 Taters. This reporter's research, that really is a place. Um, now, I, I ended up swallowing it and, and uh, ended up having, uh, on Tuesday, went to the hospital and, and, and uh, some of our church folks were there and, and, and uh, Charlene's daughter was there. It was, it was great. It's always great to run into church people when you're, you're, you're wearing that robe without your honey hanging out. <laughs> and I always love it when people say, Oh, you're Pastor Tom, how are you doing? I I'm good. Right now is really, I'm sorry, not... I'm not in the mood to, uh, I'll get with you later. Talk, talk to me when I'm wearing pants. Um, <laughs> but that whole experience has made me realize that we spend so much time focused on stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, last week we used football as an analogy. And, and, and I reminded you Alabama guys of the, the DeBose years. It's all a cycle. Now, I didn't realize when I said that that the Auburn cycle was going to cycle down so much, so quickly. Nor did I have any idea that Tennessee was going to win a game. Congratulations. <laughs> I saw an analogy this, this week online, and I want to share it with you because it really helped me. Come on, Maddie, help, help me out with this. i got a rope here. Here you go, babe. Now, you're going to take this rope, and you're going to walk way over there with it and unravel it as you go. All right, we're going to say, like I said, I'm stealing this, just whole cloth from Francis Chan. Um, This rope, we want it all the way out, Maddie, if we can. This rope is representative of your existence. And let's say that each inch equals a decade. So you're born right here. It was a great time. You came into this world, you screamed, somebody hit you straight away just so you'd know what was going to happen. And you lived your first 10 years. And then 10 to 20, you went through those, whew, those rough years. And then 20 to 30, here you go, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60. Now it's getting rough. I'm 48 and it's already all starting to fall apart. Can't even, I, I was joking with the young married class, uh, young class today, um, in the last week, I've had five different people say, so is this your daughter to Ann? I go in to, to have this procedure that we're talking about, and I'm sitting there with the paper gown on, and the doctor walks in, and he goes, is it okay if I talk in front of your daughter? And I'm like, that's my wife. <laughs> and he gives me this look like, you perverted old man. Look, we're the same age. I promise. I'm going to start carrying the birth certificate. So I went Friday to Michelle. I'm like, I don't know. I just saw you. I went to Michelle. I'm like, I don't know what you got to do, but this has got to stop. So we got to color. We got to put some strands in this. Whatever we got to do, I'm tired of people giving me the senior discount at Shoney's. All right, so here we are at 60. Everything, I'm assuming if at 48, everything's falling apart as bad as it is now at 60, I don't even know how you guys are living still. (laughs) 60 to 70, barely hanging on. If God blesses you and you live as long as Miss Whaley or Granny Eubanks, you get to 90. So this is birth to 90. This is what we all live for, right? This is where we acquire everything that we're going to have. This is where we set aside our treasure, The rest of this rope is the eternity that you've either laid up treasure for or not. You've either established what your eternity is going to look like. You're either going to spend this eternity in white-hot praise to your Savior, or you're going to spend this eternity in hell. You're going to spend the rest of this time with the consequences of these 70 years. And we are so stupid. We act like this is what it's all about. The one who has the most toys at the end wins, right? Go for all the gusto. Live your life for you today. And Jesus even said to his disciples, the people of the world are way smarter than we are because they know at least within their belief system they go for for everything they can get. You know better. You know that eternity is out there. Why don't you set up for yourselves treasures in eternity? So last week, thank you, Maddie. You did a great job. Everybody give Maddie a big hand. We could just leave this here for somebody to trip on later. We can prove how transitory everything is by uh, somebody falling and breaking their leg here. So last week we saw that. And Jesus clearly is driving toward this truth. He's coming back. Now, if... As I read different commentaries on this text, uh, I had one or two where they tried to explain away the second coming and talk about how that was a spiritual thing. Here, I want to let's just be honest here. If Jesus isn't coming back, we are stupid. Paul said, if the resurrection didn't actually occur, if Jesus isn't alive today, we are of all men most pitiful. And I will say, if Jesus rose from the grave, he said, I'm coming back. And if he ain't coming back, if we jettison the second coming, then we're missing the point, and we're wasting our time. We need to all clear out of here and go to Vegas and get tore up. Because if Jesus isn't coming back, this is stupid. But we know, in Acts chapter 1, After Jesus ascended the first time, the angel showed up and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back! I love to do believers' funerals because there is an honor and a privilege to stand there and be able to say... This ain't him. This ain't her. And her story isn't over. She's coming back. Paul does not leave us ignorant to what happens next. In 1 Thessalonians we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord. And we will always be with the Lord. He's coming back. And occasionally I will sit around um, because I'm bored and I'm having a good day or something. and won't get, want to get annoyed. And I'll watch Preachers on TV talk about my Savior. And what they'll sometimes do is paint this picture of this mealy-mouthed, girly man who's sitting there. And, oh my, Jesus is just pacing the floors, rubbing his hands together. He's got got that blonde flock of seagulls hair going in the pictures that we paint. And he's this wimpy-looking White dude that I don't even know where we got this image from. And he's just begging you to please come to me. That ain't the picture that the Bible paints of how he's coming back. Revelation chapter 19. the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So the church of Jesus... The ones who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, this is how we're going to meet Jesus. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. One sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He is not some mealy-mouthed little guy sitting around waiting. He is the Prince Prince, Prince of Peace, but he is also King of Kings. He, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by the name which he is called is the Word of God and the armies of heaven, that's us, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. We didn't purchase them, he bought them for us but we've got our white, pure linen clothes on. We're following him on white horses. I ain't horsey. I don't... And horses know that. Whenever you get around horses, they know if you're horsey or not. And if you're not horsey, they just look at you like, Yeah, I ain't kidding. You ain't doing nothing I tell you to do. Shut up. And so... But this horse somehow is going to think I'm horsey. And so I'm getting on this white horse wearing my white outfit. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming back. And there will be justice when he comes back. And a lot of people ain't going to like it. Joe Cuthbert gets mad when I say ain't. I just realized I've said ain't like 15 times today. I'm throwing the ain'ts out there. I'm sorry. But this is good stuff. And it seems like for the last three weeks as Jesus has been talking, he's been keeping his talk down on this earth. And I don't know about you, but sometimes this earth gets where it just stinks. And so Jesus is saying, look, you're focused on the wrong thing. And to help them understand how to be focused on the right thing, He gives them three ways to look at it. The first one is be like men who are waiting for their master to come home. Well, actually, the first one was... Oh, I see. I'm getting behind here. The first one is to gird up your loins about you, how you're dressed. Now, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we don't wear... Clothes that require this. But if you think in your mind back to flannel graph days, you've seen pictures of guys who they're wearing like a tunic and then they're wearing a robe over that, and they got a belt around the tunic, and they got the long robes, right? Any woman in here who's tried to walk in a tight skirt knows the problem. You can't do it very well. You got the roby parts all flapping around every which way. And so if you were about to go into battle and and there are hundreds of examples of this in the Old Testament. The command would be given to gird up your loins about you. What that means is you reach between your legs, you grab the back side of that robe, you pull it up between your legs, and then you put that belt over the outside so that the, your, your robe is cinched up around your legs so nothing is going to get in your way so you can fight. Now, in this particular case, Jesus is saying there are servants that are waiting on their master, and they don't, it isn't about being all pretty, it isn't about being all frilly. You need to get everything out of your way that's going to be a, a hindrance. We don't understand how to do that. We do not know how to remove things from our lives that are in our way. And I'm talking from experience here. I'm not just sitting here preaching to you. Let me give you one good example. Every one of you carry a computer around in your pocket that has more computing power than put men on the moon. And what we typically use it for is to gripe about each other. If it wasn't for the fact that this church doesn't know how to communicate except through Facebook, I would have killed Facebook a long time ago. Hey, I had an idea, and then I read somebody's well thought out argument against it, so I've changed my mind has never been written on Facebook. Never has somebody gone, you know, I'm completely, I was wrong after reading an argument on Facebook. And yet, we won't gossip in real life because it's not gossip if you hit share, right? There are people that are our Facebook and, and, and text, they are big men on Facebook. But face-to-face, it's a different story. They're keyboard warriors. There are people who will put down each other over and over and over again. There are people who will get on Facebook and say, I had somebody this week, that preacher, blah, 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 blah. Never said my name, but everybody knew who he was talking about. That is gutless, and that is spineless. And you know what? If you're sitting around, you know, Anne has done a really, really wise thing. She's deleted Facebook off of her phone. She can still go to a computer and look at it, but it's not there all the time. Nobody gets happy from reading political posts. Nobody's like, "Oh wow, I now I understand the Kavanaugh situation much better." Nobody ever. And this is just one example. Think about the hours that we spend looking at the TV at stuff that makes us angry, that doesn't make us happy. We don't know how to remove things in our lives that get in our way. And what Jesus is saying here is if it's not helping you build the kingdom, throw it away. Oh God, help me do that. Help me have. The power to obey and listen to this. And look at the things in my life, Lord, that's holding me back, that's getting in my way, that's causing me to stumble, and then get rid of it. So the first analogy that he uses is, gird up your loins. Then he says, keep your lamps burning. Paul, talking about lamps in Romans 13, said this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to satisfy. So we've got... On the girding ourselves, we're looking at things that in our lives that just get in the way. They're not necessarily sinful, they're not good, they're not bad. It's just stuff that just gets in the way, and we need to learn how to to remove that. This is talking about things that we let in our lives that we know is sinful, but we just keep doing them anyway. Everybody in here has sins that you struggle with. I know that. I think I shared with you the other day that I, I was going through notebooks where I had written down my prayer requests and my struggles from 20 years ago, I'm still struggling with the same sins. And we don't fight our sins with abandon. We don't work to cut them out. So Paul is saying, fashion your lamp. He uses the analogy of Of the the clothing. He uses the analogy of the lamp. And then a strange one. He says, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home. They open the door at once when he comes in. Blessed are those servants who the master finds awake when he comes. Now, up to this point, this analogy is, they would all have understood it. It all kind of fits in together and is the picture of a Jewish wedding. In a Jewish wedding, the bride groom would go off and then he's going to come back with his buddies and they're going to have they're going to blow a trumpet and they're going to come get the bride and take her away the analogy is held just as perfectly as can be and so what he's saying is those servants who are left there need to be aware he's coming don't jesus uses this theme throughout his ministry don't get caught not serving jesus when he comes i've shared with you guys that i when i uh grew up that I had a very specific, tight, never changed set of chores that I had to do every afternoon. I got home from school at a certain time. Uh, I got home about 3.30, and then Dad got off work at at Fort McClellan at like 4.45. I know that he walked in the door at... 815 Troy Street at about 520 every day. I knew that every day, and I had jobs to do. I had to make sure that uh, the fire, if if it was in the winter, that there was a fire. I had to make sure that there was at least three days' worth of dry wood on the porch in case it rained. We would have dry wood because we heated we heat with a fireplace, and so I had to make sure that that happened. I had to make sure if it was summer that the grass was cut, the weed-eating was done, that the, the place, the yard, every I had my chores. I knew what they were. I knew what time he was going to get home. You would think that, that a person as super intelligent as I am would walk home, do what he's got to do, take 20 minutes, and you're done. And as I've shared with you before, the big, the big problem with, it, with that was when I got home about 4.30, that was when Gilligan's Island came home. And so I would watch Gilligan's Island. And then you had back-to-back MASH immediately following Gilligan's Island that went from 4 to 4.30 and from 4.30 to 5. And then right after MASH went off, then you went into uh, a different set of, uh, of shows. You had, you had the, uh, the old black and white Gunsmokes. And some of those could be interesting. You could get caught up in the storyline. And so at 5.15, almost every day, at 5.15, I'm running around like a ticker with my head cut off and, and trying to get the fire started, running outside, getting a wheelbarrow load of firewood, running, 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 looking for his truck, running, 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 running stacking up the wood, coming back, coming back, coming back, and oh, he's not here yet, and I'm, oh, come on, fire, let's go, let's go, and I'm trying to get it done, and probably half of the time, he would come in and there wouldn't be a fire, firewood mess would be all over the porch, and I was going to get a whoop, and I don't know why I wasn't bright enough to realize that that was going to happen. And that's the best analogy of what Jesus is saying. He's coming back. And do you want him to come back and find you wishing you had done a bunch of stuff? We don't know when he's coming back. So we can't be looking at the clock and going, I got five minutes left. Let me act like a Christian then. There's going to be two men in a field. One's going to be taken. One's going to stay. It's going to come swiftly. It's going to come suddenly. And Jesus is saying, blessed is that servant that when the master comes back, finds him at work. If we're telling the truth, when we say that as Christians, what we're fighting for, what we're longing for, is to hear that, well done, my good and faithful servant then we need to be at work. We need to be serving Him. As we do the things that He's commanded us to do, loving each other, investing in others' lives, spending our time, pouring out our lives like a drink offering, laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven that moth and rust do not corrupt, that thieves cannot break in and steal. As we spend our time doing that, You're not losing your life. It's when you pour your life out like that that he said before, you find it. Now, at this point, everybody in the crowd, the disciples, would have known exactly what he was saying. They would have been tracking with him completely. And then he says something weird. Truly I say to you, he, which is the master will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes at the second watch, the third watch, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And then he continues, but know this, is if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now, but the, the strange thing here is that everybody in that audience would have gone, wait, what? The master doesn't come home... And then serve the servants. That's not how it works. That's not how it worked in the first century. That's not how it works now. I have never walked into a restaurant ever and said, how are you guys doing today? So I'm so glad to be here. Mr. Waitress, can you have a seat? Could I get you something to drink? You would like some water? I'll be right back with that. Would you like, would you like lemon with that? And then I, I get them, what would you like to eat? I know you've been working hard all, all night here serving other people. Let me, let me get you something to eat. I know, I said Mr. Waitress. Just move past it. <laughs> oh, for the love, my family's sitting here going, hey, he said Mr. Waitress. I know, I know. I've already corrected it in my head. I'm going to get Brian to fix the video. Let's move on. <laughs> for the love. All right. Okay, I need you all from now on to sit in the back because I can't <laughs> handle it. <clears throat> And you see, now I've completely lost my... The, wait, the Mr. Waitress, I don't go to wet restaurants and get the Mr. Waitress food, right? The, serps, the, the master doesn't walk in and say to the servants, I'm, Hey, y'all did a great job. Let me take care of y'all. It doesn't happen. So here's one of the places where Jesus takes a known entity and turns it on its head. Because you know what? We don't have the ability to serve him well. We can't do it. All the stuff that I described about pouring your life out, loving other people, giving of your finances, giving of your time, if somebody attacks you, you return good for evil, pouring your life out like a drink offering, we can't do that. We can try really hard, we can try to white knuckle through it, but the reality is it's not possible. Because we're still broken people. And so the way that we do that is that when I, it's like we've talked about when I pull up through a drive through and they're like, could you pull up a little bit and we'll bring your order out? And I'm like, no, I ain't pulling up. I see y'all in there on your the phone. Bring me my burger. Bunch of losers. You think you, come on. When I had that kind of attitude, what do I do? I drop my head and said, God, I need your help right now. When somebody sends me an anonymous letter to tell me how bad I suck as a preacher and I read that, my desire is not to go, you know, here's some possible sin issues that I, I, I need to deal with. I need to look at this seriously. And No, I don't look at that. I'm like, you gutless wonder. Didn't even put your name on the letter. Ah! And then go find Garrett and yell at him about something that's totally different. <laughs> that's what I want to do, right? Or go home and yell at my kids, clean your room. I'm like, what? What is going on? No, what I have to do is I have to pray I have to ask for the master to give me the strength to act like he's called me to act up. I don't have the power within myself. I've got to get that from him. And so any service that I render from him comes from him so that there's this cycle of him transforming me to the image of Christ and as I'm being transformed to the image of Christ, my service goes back to him as an offering so that The the glory comes from him. I'm a conduit and then it goes back to him. I'm just participating in what he's doing. Any good that comes from me didn't come from me. It came from him. I am full of dead men's bones. I have no value of myself to bring to God. This story is not about me. It's all about him. And he thank you, Lord, loves to use broken things that this world says that has no value, that's worthless. She didn't have any value. He loves to take those things and then to lean back to the angels and say, watch me work. So that the master is serving us as we serve him. That's, that's neat. That'll preach. If Chad was preaching, he'd had to stop right there. But I, can't, I cannot get this. Okay, so Jesus is, is talking about the master of the house. Peter interrupts him and says, Lord, are you telling this past, uh, parable for us or for all? Remember, there's tens thousand people out here. He's been talking to his disciples, and Peter tries to correct him. Lord, uh, um, there's all these people. Is this just for us, or are you trying to teach this to everybody? And notice Jesus' response. And Jesus said... Who then is the faithful and wise manager? He just skips it. I love that. That is so funny. There's got to be a look, though. You know that as Peter bows at me, he's like, Jesus, do you mean this for us or all them? And Jesus kind of looks at him like, (sighs) so anyway, as I was saying, (laughs) Jesus just absolutely skips the question. Shut up. (laughs) He said, blessed is the servant. He goes right back to what he's saying. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servants will come at a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. What Jesus is saying here, he's recognizing, I think everybody in this room, if I were to pass out a questionnaire and said, how many of you believe that Jesus is coming back? I think I would probably have a near unanimous, yes, I believe he's coming back. But if I were to look at all of our mind included checkbook, am I living my life like Jesus is coming back? If I were to look at my calendar or my Google timeline to see what I'm spending my time doing, would that show that I believe that Jesus is coming back? And so what Jesus is saying here is the natural inclination is to go, well, he didn't come back yesterday, so he's probably not coming back tomorrow. So I'm good. I can do what I want to do. And Jesus here is warning us against that. Remember in your mind. Keep it out there in front of you. Remind yourselves. Remind each other. He's coming back. That can either be the most glorious promise ever or the scariest thing we can hear. If I did my chores, if something happened and TBS was off the air and I wasn't watching Gilligan's Island and I did my chores, you guarantee that when Dad pulled up, I'm standing there going, hey, look at this. If you're investing your life in the things that the Bible tells us we need to be investing our life with, Jesus coming back is something we look forward to. The end of Revelation is Maranatha, come quickly. But if I'm trying to live my life any old way that I want to, and I'm going to get caught doing a bunch of stuff I'm not supposed to be doing, spending my time with things and people I'm not supposed to be spending my time with, then I don't want daddy to come home. So Jesus is reminding us of that. When I was ordained, uh, my ordination council gave me a book. It's called The Reformed Pastor. Um, and in the front of the book was um, a verse written in Greek. And at the time, I had no expertise of how how to read Greek, and so I got online and looked the letters up, and I figured out that it was a Bible verse, and I figured out um, what was was written by, figuring out that it was Luke 12, and then once I got the letters and numbers, I could go look it up, and so this verse is what um, Russ wrote in the front of my Bible, uh, in the front of that book that he gave me and that servant who knows his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. That's, that's some love right there. So that was the verse that my ordination council gave me. <laughs> so that servant who knows what his master's will is but doesn't do it and does what they want to, he will receive a severe beating. I'm just going to leave that out there. There's nothing really to preach about it. It just says what it says. we got to move forward a little bit. He finally speaks to the crowd. Finally. After all this time, right? We're three sermons in. And finally, the text says, He also said to the crowds. So at this point, Jesus finally left. After he tells his guys, Now listen, if y'all know what to do and you don't do it, I'm going to whoop you. I'm going to whoop you. All right, let's talk to these people. So, everybody, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourself what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will get out of you Get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, this is what Jesus is saying here. He looks at the crowd and he says, y'all know how to figure out what the weather's going to be in the next day. We have a saying, uh, red sky night, sailors delight, red sky morning, sailors take warning. He, he's kind of saying things like that. If you look out at night and there's a really pretty sunset, you know it's going to be clear and pretty the next day. I don't know why that is. I'm sure some of you in here could tell me. But if you get up in the morning and the sunrise happens and it's all red, you know that that day there's going to probably be rain. We have thousands of those. This year, I cannot tell you. I've actually started jotting some down in a notebook because they're so funny. We're supposedly going to have a super cold winter this year because the persimmons have spoons. Um, So when the persimmons have spoons, that means that that you're going to have to use a shovel to shovel out of the snow. I've heard that uh, we're going to have a super cold winter because there were, what, seven fogs in August, so we're going to have seven snows. Um, You guys are all looking at me crazy. Have y'all not ever heard these? Y'all should have met my mama. Man, she was full of these kind of things. Um, The the caterpillars are really wooly right now, and so we're going to have a super cold winter because the caterpillars are wooly. The stink bugs are taking over and that says that we're going to have a super cold winter. I mean, we all have these kind of little sayings. And what Jesus is saying is, if you spend as much time thinking about what the future is going to be, the real future, the one that's going to matter, as you do about whether or not it's going to rain, you'd be doing a whole lot better. I don't know about you, but I'm a weather junkie. I've got it calls it Woo, but it's Weather Underground. I've got the Weather Channel. I've got, I've got like five apps, and my favorite app is the radar app. Like, I'm going to look. Anna has accused me of doing this, and I think I actually have where I'm sitting here looking at the radar on my phone going, I think that's a hook echo right there. <laughs> Try, hey, we got to respect the polygon. Let's go. Let's go. Like, I'm going to be able to figure everything out. I, I just love looking at the weather because I want to know, is it going to rain tomorrow? I don't want to clean up the t- toilet paper that the kids threw in my trees. I want it to rain. And so I'm looking at the weather, and so it's important for me to know what the future is, and it's important for you to know what the future is. And what Jesus is saying is, is I've told you what the future's gonna be. The future is, I'm coming back. And so you're going to have to deal with how you live your life, I'm coming back. And he closes with this analogy. If you owe somebody money, and they come to you with a cop, As you're going to the court, why don't you go ahead and work that out? I mean, it just makes sense, right? If you owe somebody a hundred bucks and they go swear out a warrant, and you could just give them the hundred bucks to make it go away, wouldn't you? And what Jesus is saying is, as you're going to to, to, to the court don't just wait until it happens before you start trying to fix it if you get a final notice in the mail that's not something to go good fine I'm, glad, I'm tired of hearing about it no that means you got to deal with this <laughs> and so what Jesus is saying is in your life don't wait until you're standing in front of the judge because then it's going to be too late Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today's the day of salvation. And So as we come to a time of invitation, if you're sitting here and you go, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I like what you're saying. I just can't do it. Yes, that's where we need to be. This altar is open. Come down here. Plead with the Father to give you the strength to do what Jesus has called you to do. If you're in this room and you've never called on the name of the Lord to be saved don't wait until you're standing in front of a holy God because by then it's too late now is the accepted time and if you're in this room and you're not a part of a church family and you don't know where to serve or how to serve we would love to have you join with us Father God Lord we thank you for your word Lord, we thank you for this text. Lord, we thank you that this text doesn't leave us curious. It doesn't leave us unknowing how to act. God, this text lays it out there. So, God, I thank you for that. Lord, we love you. We need your help to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.